In Psalms 42, it begins with saying, As the heart panteth out of the water brooks, the word heart, H-A-R-T, having reference to an animal much like our deer. As the heart panteth out of the water brooks, so panteth my soul out of thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for the living God. We're talking about a, an inward desire, an inward thirst that David expressed here. Compares it to a heart that on a dry day, when he was thirsty, it would seek out water and find the brooks. As the heart panteth out to the water brook, so panteth my soul out to thee, O God. We'll come to the fifth verse, and David says, I will praise him for the help, that's H-E-L-P, for the help of his countenance. The last verse, verse 11, says, I will praise him for the health, H-E-A-L-T-H, of my countenance. The 43rd Psalm that follows has the same verse in it. I will praise him for the health of my countenance. Now, the countenance can tell you a lot about a person. It can tell you whether they're sad or whether they're happy, whether they're sad or whether they're cheerful. Um, it reflects oftentimes what is felt in the heart, what is felt in the soul. First time it's used is over here in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. You'll find there were two brothers, Cain and Abel. First two children born in this world of Adam and Eve. And we find where Cain was the oldest, and then Abel. And one day Cain brought an offering to the Lord. He brought the fruit of the land, the fruit of his hands. And Abel likewise brought an offering, and his offering was a firstling of the flock. The Bible says that God had respect unto Abel and his offering. He had non-respect to Cain and his offering. That's a couple of doctrinal points in this. First of all, we notice before God accepted Abel's offering, he had respect to Abel as a person. Then he accepted his offering. The offering that Abel had involved the slaying of an animal. A death took place. Blood was shed. An offering was made. A picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it was made by faith. And then we find where Cain made an offering. And Cain's offering was the fruit of his labors, the fruit of his hands. Yes, the Lord blessed him to be able to bring forth the fruit, but it represented his works. And God had non-respect, first of all, to Cain, and non-respect to his offering. After that took place and Cain witnessed this, the Bible says that Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. His countenance was fallen. In other words, his face looked different after that than it did before time. It revealed what was in his heart. And the Lord spoke to him about it. He says, doest thou well, Cain, to be wroth? Doest thou well um, for thy countenance to have fallen? Here's a, a fallen countenance. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, you find a little woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah was barren. She had no children. And yet, another one of the wives of her husband was very fruitful, had several. And she had a sorrowful spirit and a sorrowful heart. And she prayed to the Lord about this. And one day she was praying, and no words were coming out. Her lips were moving, but she was speaking from the heart. Now, I really love Ephesians 3.20, when Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that 
worketh in us. Notice, all that we ask or think. God knows what's in our heart, and God knows the thoughts of our mind. Sometimes you just can't get words out. You ever been in that kind of shape? You just want to cry out to God, you just don't know what to say. Well, the Lord knows exactly what you're going through, you see. Anyway, Eli saw her and, and thought she had been drinking, thought she was drunken. But she tells him, no, I'm not one of the daughters of Baal. She says, I'm of a sorrowful spirit, and explains it to him. And he says, go thy way, may the Lord bless thee. And he says, after that point, she no longer had a sad countenance. She had a countenance that was one of sadness. It reflected the sorrow that was in her heart. And then the Bible says, the Lord hearkened unto her and blessed her. And of course, she had Samuel, one of the greatest men in Israel's history. Here's a sad countenance. When I see people sometimes, I can tell right off the bat that something's troubling them. Their countenance gives it away. And that's what gave Hannah away. In Genesis chapter 31, you're going to find where Jacob, in his dealings with Laban, Uncle Laban, Jacob had left the land where he was at and went to, back to the homeland where Laban was at. And he went into that land with nothing but a staff. But after 20 years, he's going to leave that land and he's going to leave with far more than he went into it with because God just blessed him immeasurably. And you're going to find where he even blessed Laban. In fact, Laban tells Jacob, he says, I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me, you know, for thy sake. And he didn't want Jacob to go. Jacob was wanting to come back to the homeland. And then you find as Jacob is leaving, the sons of Laban observe and they see that He's taking with him a lot that they thought was going to be theirs. And they complained to Laban, their father. And the Bible says that Jacob looked. He says, the countenance of Laban is not toward me like it was before. His countenance had changed. He hadn't said a word to, to Jacob. But Jacob, you just tell that Laban didn't feel toward him like he did just a short time before that. In the book of Nehemiah, read where Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's in captivity and he's several hundred miles away from Jerusalem. But he finds out that Jerusalem has been taken by the Babylonians and that the gates have been broken down. The walls have been broken down. The gates have been burned. And he begins to pray and he opens up his heart and prays to God. And you've got details of his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. And he prays and Praise. And then in chapter 2, we find as he come before the king one day, the king observed Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah, why is thy countenance so sad, seeing thou art not sick? He knew Nehemiah was not sick. Nehemiah being the cupbearer, it was his responsibility to inspect the food and the drink, oftentimes to taste it himself to be sure that somebody wasn't trying to poison the king. I mean, his life was on the line every single day. He says, why art thou so sad, Nehemiah, seeing you're not sick? And the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord. That's one of these emergency prayers I like to speak about. He just got right to the point. He didn't pray out loud. I don't know the details of that prayer, but I know God answered it. And he explained to the king why he was so sad. See, it was not a, it was not a healthy thing to be sad in the sight of a king. If you was a king employee, so to speak, an attendant, the king would have nobody around him with a sad face. Uh, he wanted people around him that was optimistic, upbeat, cheerful, etc., etc. So 
if you, even if you didn't feel like it, you put a smile on your face and you was around the king. But Nehemiah was so burdened down, so heavy, burdened and laden, that he just couldn't hide the fact he had a, a sad heart. Why art thou sad today, seeing you're not sick? Well, he found out. And he asked for a leave of absence, and God blessed him to get that leave of absence. And he blessed him to have letters of authority from the king. Providentially, the Lord opened up the door where Nehemiah could return back down to Jerusalem. See, there's a lot that you can tell by a person's countenance. In Proverbs 15, 13, Solomon said that a cheerful countenance or a merry heart maketh for a cheerful countenance. See, the heart is merry, therefore the countenance is cheerful. But it can work the other way. He said, but also... A, a sorrowful spirit break, coming from a broken heart. It works both ways. In Proverbs 25 and 23, it says, As the north wind driveth away the rain, it says, So doth a, so does a, uh, an angry countenance, a backbiting spirit, or backbiting talk. You know, my dad could communicate with me without saying a word. You have had a dad like that? Oh, he could communicate with me without saying a word. He, he was able to communicate with me with his facial features. When we'd be in church and I was growing up in church, my dad didn't have to say a word to me. He'd just look at me. And I knew right then what he was telling me. Shape up or we're going out. <laughs> so I shaped up. One time out, told me to shape up from there on. And so he says, As the north wind driveth away the rain, so doth the angry countenance Somebody who is practicing backbiting. If someone in your presence begins to practice that, then you just give them an angry countenance, it'll go away. They know that you don't approve of such language. You don't approve of such words, you see. In the 27th chapter of Proverbs, verse 17, Solomon said, As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, if you want to sharpen your knife, you sharpen it with, with steel or iron. That they have something in common. You sharpen it with something that you have in common. And so a friend sharpened the countenance, or a man sharpened the countenance of his friend. Now, the fact that he's his friend shows they have a lot in common. And you know, no matter how you're feeling, you might be down and out or whatever, but just when you see a friend, a real true friend come in your presence, reaching out his hand uh, to shake it, one thing or another, it, it just kind of makes you feel a little bit better, doesn't it? Automatically, that just his presence there makes you feel better. I always feel better as soon as I get here in the mornings. I do. And I, I may be feeling fine before I get here. I just feel finer once I get here. <laughs> when, when I see the people come in, when I'm able to shake their hands and, and see their smile and, and see their countenance, it lifts me up because I consider you all to be my friends. So as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man's countenance, a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now you come to the book of Daniel. You look in the first chapter, you find where Daniel and the Hebrew children and others were in captivity to the Babylonians. And they were extraordinarily talented and gifted. And God had blessed them to have unusual gifts. And it was recognized by the Babylonians that they were set aside. They were the who's who among the children of that day. And so the king wanted them to have the very best that could be offered. So he gave them the king's wine and the king's meat. But Daniel did not want to participate in that. And so he asked 
to be an exception with the prince of the eunuchs. But the prince of the eunuchs said, well, if I was to do what you ask and not, you know, see to it you eat the king's bread and, and, and wine, drink the wine, says my very life would be in danger, and it would have been. And Daniel says, well, tell you this, just feed us water and pulse, which is the seeds of beans and peas for 10 days, and then compare our countenance with the countenance of those who are eating the king's wine, drinking the king's wine, and eating the king's meat. Be a, be a comparison. See if there's a contrast. Well, the prince of the eunuchs decided to do that. So they had a 10-day trial, and after the 10-day trial, the Bible says that the countenance of Daniel, the Hebrew children, was far fairer and fatter than the countenance of those who had had what would be considered a far more desirable diet. The king's meat, the king's wine, the very best available that day. And they're drinking water. And they're eating seeds from the from pulse, seeds from beans and peas, you see. Now here's, here's a, a, a countenance that God blessed them to have a healthy looking countenance. You ever hear people say sometimes, well, you know, so-and-so looks a little peaky to me. You know, their, their complexion is pale. Or you'll say, so, oh, wait, wait, boy, he... You look good today. You got, oh, your face looks really good. I can tell you got a good blood flow and all these kind of things. People read in what they see in your expression. Now, David here says, I praise him for the help of his countenance. Talk about the countenance of God here. He says, I praise him for the help of my countenance. We find where David had a connection. He felt there was a connection with the health of his countenance, with the help of the countenance of Christ. There's a blessing that God commanded Moses and Aaron to bestow upon the nation of Israel. It's recording for us, a very familiar one, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24, 5, and 6. He says, you go and you bless Israel with this blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord maketh his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, and the Lord give thee peace. That's very familiar, isn't it? In fact, we, it's part of a hymn that we sing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. Notice three things. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. That's a wonderful blessing. The Lord maketh his face to shine upon thee. The Lord be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, his face, his countenance upon thee, and the Lord give thee peace. What a gracious, what a wonderful blessing that is to have that said unto you by God himself. And that's what God told Moses and Aaron to say unto the people. So what is it about the face of God? What is it about the countenance of God that's so important that David says, I praise thee for the help of thy countenance. He says, your countenance helps me, Lord. And I praise you for the health of my countenance. David says, you have helped me and I praise you for it. I, I praise you for the health of my countenance that I have. Now, when you study the life of David, you, you know all his exploits, but you also know all the, the problems that he had, all the, you know, the persecution that he suffered the, and the sufferings he went through. He was gone for 10 years from, from the palace and his home. He was a refuge for 10 years. That's right where we were at the other night in 1 Samuel chapter 19. That begins a 10-year exile of David. For 10 years, David will not be at home. For 10 years, David will not be in the palace. For 10 years, David will be in caves. David will be in dens. 
David would have to find a hiding place because Saul became his arch enemy. But David says, I praise thee, O Lord. You know, as the heart panteth after the water broke, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul panteth and thirsteth for the true God, the living God. He said, I praise thee for the help of thy countenance. So let's take a look at the countenance of the Lord here in several different places. First of all, I'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 opens like this, says, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Two important questions. Actually, question two kind of answers question one. Lord, who hath believed our report? That indicates everybody didn't believe the report of Isaiah. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Those who believe the report are those whom the arm of the Lord revealed Christ to. Like the Lord when he prayed in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Lord, I thank you that I hid these things from the wise and prudent, but hath revealed them unto babes. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He says, he shall grow up as a tender plant. I want you to get the picture here. It's very important. He shall grow up as a tender plant. No, we're not talking about a mature, strong plant. We're talking about a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. This land we're talking about is dry and barren, a root out of dry ground. A tender plant without form, without comeliness, and there's no beauty about him we should desire. There's three things here, notice this, without form. All three of these words are kind of, they're basically synonyms, but they all bring a different aspect to the picture here. Without form. In other words, this is not a picture of a, of a strong tree out here, a strong oak tree. This is a tender plant out of dry ground, out of a dry and fruitful, fruitless ground, barren ground. Without form. Without colors. That word colors there means without splendor and magnificence. There's no splendor about him, no magnificence about him. And there's no beauty about him that we should desire him. This is looking through the eyes of a natural man, not through the eyes of a believer, but through the eyes of man in his human nature. There was nothing about Christ that was very appealing, you see, from a human perspective, from an outward physical aspect. See, men's, men are impressed by this. You go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the Lord sent Samuel to the household of Jesse to pick one of his sons to be the king of Israel. Remember what the Lord told him. He says, look not on what? On his countenance. When you meet somebody for the first time, the first thing you do is see their countenance. You see their person. You see them outwardly, don't you? But you got a normal while to really know what's on the inside. He says, the Lord looks on the inside. Look not on their countenance or the outward appearance because that's how man looks. He just described how we operate, Right? You know, we can be mighty impressed with somebody when we first see them, only to be mighty disappointed after a few <laughs> experiences along the way. So the Lord warns him. We find where he went through seven sons. The eighth son was David. He was a keeper of the sheep. He didn't even bring him out. And Samuel says, is there not another? He says, yes, there is one, but he's the youngest. He's a keeper of the sheep. He says, we will not rest till you bring him out. When he brought him out, the Lord revealed unto him that David was a man after God's own heart, and David was a man that God was going to place over Saul, uh, you know, after Saul to be the king of Israel. What's said about David? It said David had a, a comely appearance, a fair countenance. The word beautiful and fair actually translate from the same word. 
David, in other words, was a very handsome man. But that's not why he was set aside. When Israel looked out among them to get a king for themselves, they looked on the outward appearance. They found a man who was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul of Kish was extremely tall for a Jewish man in that day. He had all the physical attributes. He was a man of great statue, tall man, handsome man, etc., etc. And that's what wooed them and swayed them in their decision. But the Lord said, don't you look, Samuel, for somebody like that. And it turned out that David wasn't tall like Saul, but he was a, certainly a handsome man. In fact, of the six things that said about David later on, one of them is he was a comely person, which means he was a very handsome person. The countenance of a person reveals a lot about them. Now, we're looking at the countenance of the Lord here. And according to Isaiah chapter 53, there was no beauty about him we should desire him. He didn't stand out like Saul of Kish did. If you saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of a group of Jewish brethren in that day, he'd have looked like just about anybody else. Nothing, nothing uh, you know, that just uh, separated him out from the rest of them. But I take a look over here in the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, we find this being a very beautiful love uh, letter, you might say, of communication between uh, the husband and his wife, between the bridegroom and the bride, between King Solomon and his bride. Basically, it's a picture of the Lord's church and the church. And we find where the Lord speaks of his bride in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Thou art my dove. In the, thou art in the secret places, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. He says, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for thy voice is sweet and thy countenance is comely. In other words, his bride was beautiful to him. He wanted to see the beauty of his bride. He wanted to hear the voice of his bride. His, the voice of the bride was, was something that he desired to listen to and to see the countenance of his bride. He says, you're in the clefts of the rock. That's where the dove goes for safety and refuge, isn't it? That's why David said in Psalms 55, he said, if I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. The dove is a creature that manifests many characteristics that the Lord's people should manifest. Dove is a very loving creature. The dove is a very a creature of humility. The dove uh, is a chaste creature. The dove is a very fruitful creature. The dove is a social creature. The dove is a very clean creature. The dove mates and mates for life. He says, my love, my dove, thou art but one. There's none like her, you see. Her countenance was very important to the Lord. Come to the fifth chapter of the Song of Solomon, and you'll find where the fairest of women ask a question among the daughters of Jerusalem, or they say to the daughters of Jerusalem, to find my beloved. And they said, why is that beloved so much more than any other beloved that you so does charge us? And she's, she's not slow in giving a response. She says he's white and he's ruddy. And that's a general appearance of the one she's going to talk about. He's white and he's ruddy. That word ruddy means redness. And I believe this points us to the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ and also his humanity. You go back to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. How does it start out? I'm the rose of Sharon, red. I'm the lily of the valley, white. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. He says he's white, and she says he's white, and he's ruddy. He says he's the chiefest among 10,000. 
of 10,000 out here, he's the best. That's a general description. Then she says his head is as the most fine gold. I'm going to take a look at his countenance right here. His head is as the most fine gold. There's gold, fine gold, and most fine gold. Jesus Christ is not just gold. He's not just fine gold. He's the most fine gold, you see. He's the best. His hair is black and bushy, locks like that of a raven. There's nothing any more black, jet black, than a raven, the color of a raven. Black's always been symbolic of great beauty. Now notice, it's going to be a sharp contrast in this description, one I want to give to you in a little bit over in Revelation chapter 1. But he says, his eyes as the eyes of doves, brought back our attention to the dove once again, eyes like the eyes of a dove, fitly set and washed, washed with milk and fitly set as by the rivers of water. That's where doves like to congregate by the rivers of water, where they can get a clean drink of water and also bathe in the clean water. They're very clean animals, creatures. If you ever looked in the eyes of a dove, seriously, if you've ever hunted doves and shot one and picked one up, uh, it'll almost make you want to go home and quit. It's, it's, the eyes are different. It, it's eyes of love, eyes of humility, eyes of meekness. You can just see it in the eyes of a dove. The Lord, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven in the body form and shape of what? Of a dove. It's symbolic of peace. When Noah, you know, was trying to find out if he could come out of that ark, the first thing he said out was a raven. The raven left the raven didn't come back. He found plenty to feast upon. But he sent out a dove. The dove came back. Sent out a dove. Then the dove came back. But the third time he sent the dove out, the dove didn't come back because it found a place for the sole of his foot. See, the dove had to find a place where it could, it could light. It, it had to be a place suitable. He says he had the eyes of a dove. All right, that's part of the countenance of people. This is its cheeks, is a bed of spices, sweet as flowers. His lips, like lilies, dropping sweet smell in myrrh. You got the eyes, you got the cheeks, you got the mouth. Notice the beautiful symbolic language that Solomon gives us right here. The eyes of the doves, pure eyes, eyes of innocence. And you got these cheeks, again, like lilies, like sweet flowers. And then you got the mouth, like or oh, like lilies, rather, dropping sweet smell in myrrh. That's a beautiful countenance, is it not? And then it drops down, and the last thing she says about him is this. She says, for he's altogether lovely, and his countenance is like the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon was a region, a mountainous region around Jerusalem there, where the finest cedars grew. Not the only place, but if you wanted the finest of the cedars, you went to Lebanon. That's where the cedars grew tall and straight and upright, that's where the, the greatest cedars were. She says, his countenance like the cedars of, cedars of Lebanon, excellent, or like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. The cedar tree is known as the king of the trees, you might say. So we see a beautiful countenance here, do we not? In contrast to the countenance we saw over here in Isaiah chapter 53. But you see, the, the countenance over here in the book of Song of Solomon is the view that a believer has. Somebody in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody in love with the bride. Then I look over here in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And you'll find where he says, His countenance was like the sun that shineth in his strength. His countenance compared to the sun. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ 
was, went on top of the mountain of transfiguration, what happened when he went up there? He took with him James and John, and James and John and Peter went with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. They saw not only the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw Moses and Elijah. Now, this is an important point, too. They recognized this was Moses and Elijah, even though they had never seen them before in their life. They'd never seen a photograph, a picture, a portrait of Moses and Elijah, but somehow or another, by the divine revelation, they understood that Moses and Elijah had, was right there with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that Christ was transfigured in their midst. In the ninth chapter of Luke, we read the account where it says, and the fashion of his countenance was altered. And we find details of this in chapter 17 of Matthew. When it says, for his, his, his face shined as the strength of the sun. When is the sun at his greatest strength? At 12 noon, when it's straight up in the sky. That's when it's its brightest and also when it's its warmest or its hottest, you see. And what a blessing the sun is to us. Uh, I mentioned, I think it was on Wednesday night, concerning the general providence of God. There are two things God, all God's got to do is just quit letting the sun shine and the rain come and this earth wouldn't last long. Now, I wonder how many people on the face of this earth recognize that and understand that and are appreciative of that, that if God didn't send the sunshine and the rain, we couldn't live, we couldn't survive. Now, we got a good prospect of rain today, and I hope the good Lord will answer uh, somebody's prayer. I've been trying to pray for it, somebody's prayer, and we can get some rain today. It's, it's getting pretty dry around here. We had not had any rain where I live in over two and a half weeks, and it's been hot and dry for sure. So I hope the Lord be pleased to send the sun. But you couldn't live without the sunshine. You couldn't live without the rain that God sends, you see. So we take a, this look at the Lord's countenance. And I trust we begin to see, and I think a little bit why David said, Lord, I thank you for the help of your countenance. I thank you and I praise you for the health of my countenance. You go to the fifth chapter of the book of Judges, you're going to read right after the Lord had blessed Israel to win a battle. Then they began to sing a song. They said, let thine enemies perish and those that love thee. Now notice, there are enemies and those that love thee. Two different categories of people, right? Let thine enemies perish and they that love thee walk in the strength of thy countenance. The countenance of God is like the sun shining in his strength. The strength gives us light to walk by, to see by. And the light of the sun gives us the light of understanding that we might know the truth and understand the truth, that we might walk according to the truth. That's what the counsel of the Lord symbolizes in this text. So let the, thine enemies perish and those that love the Lord. There's a lot of promises in God's word to those that love the Lord that don't apply to everybody. You take a look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. You begin to examine the things that works together for good. It works together for a certain category of people, those who love the Lord. Those who don't love the Lord, and there's people on this earth that do not love the Lord. These, are not, these do not apply to them. But you can't get Romans 8, 28 while you're there and not at least say something about 29 and 30, right? Over whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
And moreover, he did predestinate, then he also called, when he called, then he also justified, when he justified, then he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? Well, I think we should say hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Here are things working together for your good. God's foreknowledge, God's act of predestination, his purpose in that, his calling, his justification, and his glorification. One day the whole family of God will have bodies fashioned like the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's according to God's purpose and God's grace. And these things are working together for your good. They don't work against each other, they work for you. The devil and the Lord do not work together. Your spirit and uh, uh, the spirit of God and your flesh do not work together. It's obvious that we have great division in the world, great division in the country because everybody's not working together. you got got uh, anti-Christian, anti-God element that has gained tremendous ground in this world and causing great confusion and chaos and destruction. I praise thee, O Lord, for the help of thy countenance. For thy countenance is like the sun, sun that shineth in its strength. The Lord was transfigured on that mountain of transfiguration. And for a short period of time, we find where his countenance was uh, altered. For his face shined like the sun at noontime. When Saul of Tarsus was struck down on the Damascus Road, what time of day was it? What time of day was it? It was noontime. <laughs> He was struck down to the very dust of this earth. We find here where David is praising the Lord for the help of the Lord's countenance. Again, the blessing that was bestowed upon Israel was the Lord lift up his, uh, uh, make his face shine upon thee, and he graciously, thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. We're looking for the approval of God, in other words. We're looking for the face of God to be smiling upon us. And that reminds me then of um, Psalms 89. Verse 15, he says, Blessed are those that know the joyful sound, for they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. I want to walk in the light of the countenance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Blessed are those that know the joyful sound. It's a blessing to know a sound that's joyful. To know the joyful sound means you understand the joyful sound. It means you can separate the joyful sound, distinguish the joyful sound from all the other sounds that's going on in the world. What are some of the joyful sounds that the Lord's people have heard in times past? Well, you know, on the year of Jubilee, trumpets were blown on the year of Jubilee. You know what the year of Jubilee was? Jubilee was the year of revival. Jubilee was the year in which all things returned back like they were. Jubilee was a year of liberty and freedom. Servants were released, prisoners were released, land was restored back to the original owners. And when that day would come, that year would come, they'd blow the trumpets, call the trumpet uh, of the year of Jubilee. And we sang that hymn in the hymn book. The year of Jubilee. It happened every 50 years. The land was laid out every seven years. That was due seven times. Seven times seven is 49. After 49 years, after seven cycles of the seventh year of where the land laid out and received its rest, the 50th year came along and the trumpets blew. the year of jubilee. Freedom. Liberty. Everything returned. Everything restored. What a day it was. What a joyful sound it was when Israel marched around the city of Jericho. 
After they marched around this city of Jericho one time a day for six days, on, seven times on day number seven, what did the priests do? They blowed their trumpets of ram's horns. It was a joyful sound because when that happened, the walls of the city come tumbling down. Blessed are those that know the joyful sound. Do you know it today? To know the joyful sounds, to hear the joyful sound, to understand the joyful sound, to embrace the joyful sound. And now I'm talking about the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the greatest news, the greatest message, the greatest sound that's ever been blown. It's been blown by a gospel trumpet. <laughs> you know, Israel usually used trumpets made out of ram's horns once again. But in Numbers chapter 10, there's two silver trumpets that were made by Moses in the direction of God. They was made of the same piece. These trumpets were of silver. Silver is a picture of purity in the word of God. As you read in Psalms 12, 6, for the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. It's a picture of purity. When they blew these trumpets, they had to know how to blow them so a certain sound went out. So Israel knew if they were to assemble together, and if they were to start a march, if they were to leave one place to another. It was two trumpets for that. When I think about those trumpets, I think about the wonderful book we call the Bible. It's got two trumpets in it. There's one for the Old Testament, one for the New Testament. We got two sides, do we not? Now, we don't have more than that. When somebody says, word so-and-so, get that. When they try to, you know, uh, uh, promote some kind of thing, it's uh, not scriptural. And they where they get that? And they say, well, they got it out of the Bible, as I've told you many times in the past. Yeah, way out of the Bible, to the left of Genesis, to the right of Revelation. They didn't get it from in the Bible. They got it way out of the Bible somewhere. These are two silver trumpets. These are glorious trumpets. These are pure trumpets. And there's a gospel that brings forth a pure sound of the victory in Jesus Christ. There's a gospel sound that we ought to be able to hear and know and understand and embrace and, and walk in the truth of that gospel sound that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That Jesus Christ didn't make people savable, he saved them. He didn't make people reconcilable, he reconciled them. He didn't make people justifiable, he justified them. He didn't make people, uh, you know, to be, in a, get, be able to get in a position to be saved. He saved them by his marvelous grace. And I've had several good sessions with my friend Rico. <laughs> then the other day I said, Rico, pay attention to them words that end with E-D. <laughs> like redeemed, justified. <laughs> he said, I get that, I get that. <laughs> the Lord is blessing him to see these things real quick. I said, that means the action is completed. It is not open-ended. It's not something Jesus started and you got to finish. Jesus crossed the T's and Jesus uh, dotted the I's. Aren't you happy about that? Or if I look back at my life and I can see where I crossed every T along life's journey and dotted every I along life's journey except one, I'd be in serious trouble, brother. That's all it would take. I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. But I got a Savior who lived the life I couldn't live, did the work I couldn't do, crossed all my T's, dotted all my I's, and one day I'll see his face in glory because of what he's done for me. Oh, Lord, I praise thee for the help of thy countenance. I praise thee for the help of my countenance. Reminds me of a good brother, one of my best friends, Every time I talk to him, he, he tells me, he prays for me every day. He lives in another state. Years ago, I was his pastor in Florida. 
When he walked down the aisle, came into church, he walked down the aisle, I could always tell you right off the bat what kind of day he was having. I could tell you right off the bat, he had a good week or a bad week. He'd come in with his chin dragging the ground like a mule half the time. I said, oh my goodness, he's down in the dumps. You know how I knew that? I saw it in his countenance. But he's a wonderful brother, a devoted brother, a godly brother who loves the Lord. And when the Lord would bless in the gospel message, when he would bless in the gospel service, I'm telling you, when he left that place, he had a smile on his face because God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, helped his countenance. And his countenance went from one of poor health to great health. <laughs> you ever felt like that, brother? I love to see people with a smile on the face in the house of God. You got every reason in the world to, be, to smile. That's why Paul says to the Philippians to two different times, rejoice in the Lord. And I say to you again, rejoice in the Lord always. You can't rejoice in circumstance. You can't rejoice in corruption. You can't rejoice in the things of this world right here that we face on a daily basis that get you down. But I can tell you, you can always rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me one thing Christ ever failed to do. You can't name it. Tell me one thing that Christ uh, ever come up short on. You can't name it. When you talk about the Lord, you're talking about victory. You talk about the Lord, you're talking about being more than conquerors through him that loved us. When I get to thinking about that, when I get to meditating on that, preaching about that, why well, I start feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, how about you? I hope I got a smile on my face this morning. Come on, you smile a little more than you're doing right now. Come on, I'm looking right at you. <laughs> oh, I'll praise him for the help of his countenance. I praise him for the help I'm my countenance. I want to have a healthy countenance here this morning. I want to pass my spiritual physical. What about you? Everybody ought to get a physical once a year, but who likes doing it? <laughs> who likes going to get a physical? I don't know if anybody just jumps up for joy about that, but I think you ought to, and it's important that you do it, and you find a little something out of place, you need to try to correct it. That's what happens when you come to God's church, when you go to the Word of God. You're trying to get a spiritual checkup. If something's out of place, fix it. If something's not where it ought to be, uh, get it in the right place. Do what's necessary, brother, because we all need to have a healthy countenance about us that says a lot about our spiritual well-being and our spiritual health. I praise thee for the help of thy countenance. You know, when I, I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about this, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever prayed and said, Lord, I thank you for the help of your countenance. I've prayed thanking God for his blessings. I've prayed thanking God for his mercy and his grace. Try to pray to God and thank you for his providential care. Thanking God for my life, my health and my strength, for the food on my table, the clothes on my back, the roof over my head, a comfortable car to drive in to have family and friends, uh, you know, to help me along life's pathway the fellowship I have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this goes on and on and on. But I got to think it, I don't know if I've ever expressed it like David did. I thank you, Lord, for the help of your countenance. I thank you, Lord, for the health of my countenance. Thank you for it and praise him for it today. 
If it was not for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, we'd have room, we'd have reason to, to be dejected and reason to, to be depressed one thing and another. But I'm telling you, the Lord's got it all in control today. Thank God for that. He's ruling and reigning in righteousness. He's ruling and reigning in this universe. He's on his throne in glory, looking down upon this earth as his footstool. And he's got the care of all of his children, my friends, right within his heart. Thank you, dear Lord, for the help of your countenance. And I praise you, O Lord, for the health of my countenance.